You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. see all of you here today. Wait for folks to get settled and focused. You got to focus. Last week we said you have to fight to focus. Not so much this week. I don't sense the fight that I sensed up here last week. That last song that our, our worship leader picked is so, so appropriate to the message that we're going to hear. So keep that in mind. Greater things are yet to be done in this city, in this region, in this county, and in our nation. Before we get into the message, though, Dan is going to come and share just a few minutes with us. I am doing the uh, Acts 4.30 declaration, and before we uh, get into what God gave me, we have a testimony. I know, Hub, I got two minutes. 30 seconds, brief and concise. First of all, I want to thank the congregation for their prayers thoughts and our concerns during my week in the hospital though I walked through the darkest valley I fear no evil he is with me his rod and his staff they comfort me I didn't walk through that darkest valley I ran and this congregation was my rod and my staff Thank you. I am about two weeks ahead of schedule. I wasn't supposed to be here last Sunday. The doctor told me I was supposed to stay home and do nothing. But think about it. If you need healed, where do you belong? You need to be here. And he did some unbelievable things for me on Sunday. I was given this medicine. It didn't do a thing for me. My oxygen levels stopped dropping off. I felt good. I wasn't coughing. I wasn't bringing anything up. The pain in my chest was gone. Right. And as a couple of you know, I'm supposed to take it easy this week, and some of you know I didn't. But it's good to be off the oxygen, even though I'm supposed to be on it. But praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to say that I got this, and it meant a lot to me. This is from Daniel. God's love never fails. Thank you, Ray. That was... Absolutely wonderful. 
Um, before I get into the Acts 4:30, and this all gets to get you know comes together. Um, Lily had some issues this week, and uh, she is not here today. Uh, we really miss her, and everybody misses her. There has been a lot of incredible support for um, Lily this week, prayers, thoughts, um, comments, concern. Um, she had some physical issues that seem to be okay now, but uh, she's going to go see a doctor. Um, we wanted to get the elders together to pray for her for, for that issue and for her skin condition that um, we know can be healed by God. So um, before I read Acts 4.30, I just want to remind people Matthew 8, 3. I'm sorry, Matthew 8, 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. So you don't necessarily need to be here to be healed. So at this time I ask you to stand and I will read Acts. 430. Heavenly Father, give me the words that you need the congregation to hear. Stretch out your hand to heal I receive. and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Jesus. Father, as we reach out to you right now, Lord, I ask that anyone, anyone, anywhere that needs healing, that has asked for healing, that you heal, Lord. Burkina Faso, heal. Lily, heal. Anyone that's home, heal. Anyone that's lost, that wants to be found, 
that wants to know you, Lord. We reach out our hand, Lord. We say thank you, Lord, for everything that you do. Jesus has also said that we can do things as much as he did and even more things that he has done. So we raise our hands, Lord. We stretch them out to you, Lord. We stretch them out to everybody that needs help to find you, to heal their conditions, to heal their minds, heal their physical bodies, heal the hurt, heal the hate. Heal the world. Father, you stand before us and we just love you so much, but you have a love for us that we cannot comprehend. You have a love for us that we just, we just don't know. We just don't understand it. We want to, Lord. And we understand that love heals. Mm. Father, thank you so much for everything that you do. We stretch mm -hmm. our hands out. Mm. Stretch them out. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this power. We cannot abuse this power because you won't let us. But we have this power, Lord, to just reach out and touch someone. Reach out and look for those that need to be healed. Prayed for. Father, I thank you so much for this. This is just an amazing work that you do through us. We look for you. To show us what to do, Lord. So as I stand here with my arm outstretched and everyone else here with their arm outstretched, heal everyone, Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We appreciate this and we do this all through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Dan. So all you healthy people can sit down, since we've all been healed. Good news. Well, bad news, there goes the iPad. Good news, it's still working. No persecution. No murders, no execution today. You know, we've been getting hit hard the last couple weeks, right? Right? Joy actually mentioned in the passage today. I just want to begin with a very brief review. Last week, the text was Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We finished up the story of Stephen. We looked at the aftermath. God was using Stephen mightily in kingdom work. Stephen was telling others about Jesus. Miraculous signs and wonders were happening through him. This made the religious authorities and governmental authorities angry. At Stephen, he was arrested and he was brutally executed. This is, this is in the review. There's none of that in today's message. Then in Acts 8.1, we saw the immediate aftermath of that, of that incident a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. Stephen's death opened a door. All it takes is one incident. 
Stephen's death opened the door for a great wave of persecution to come sweeping over the church. Also in Acts 1, there's the result of that wave of persecution. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The church was heading north into Judea and Samaria. Knowingly or unknowingly to the church, they were fulfilling the words of Jesus in Acts 8.1. You'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, eventually to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 4, we saw what was happening with the believers as they scattered. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is important. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is very important as we move into today's message for us to understand today's text. This is very important. What they were doing as they were scattered. They weren't just fleeing for their lives. They weren't just purchasing new properties and moving to the mountains to get away from it. They were preaching the word. They were fully engaged in kingdom work as they were being hunted down and persecuted. That's a mindset, right? That's a mindset. That's a commitment level that I believe the church today does not have. So at this time, let's have Deborah and Ashlyn come. We'll stand with them. We'll make Ashlyn feel very comfortable up here. And they'll read for us Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. just learning to read, but she wanted to try to read today, so I'm going to help her through this. Yeah. Put the microphone and right up there. And she also has a training. Can she do the training? Sure. What, what did you need to read today? Jesus helped me, Jesus helped my eyes feel better. attention to what he said with sweet evil spirit came out of many and many paralytics and crippled were healed so there was great joy in the city thank you Ashley You may be seated. I'm excited about this message today. Something huge. Can you say huge? Huge! <laughs> Something huge happened two weeks ago when this church emptied out and committed themselves to the Lord. Amen. And then again last week when some who weren't here the week before also came forward and committed themselves to the Lord. That was huge in this church's life 
That was huge in God's sight. So huge that he responded to us last week, and he said, since you committed to me, I now am going to give you a promise. No matter what comes, I'll work it out for great good. This week he's saying, because you committed to me two weeks ago and last week, I'm going to give you a glimpse into what's coming for you. There is a title to this message, generic title, The Story of Philip. It's an introduction. Subtitle might be Meet Philip. We're going to meet Philip today. You know, we said last week, Luke likes to introduce characters into the narrative ahead of them becoming the main character. He did that with Stephen. Now he did it with Philip. You may not remember, but we met Philip before. Anybody remember when? How about in Acts chapter 6, when Philip, like Stephen, was one of the people picked to be the, the food, and a food bank administrator? He was possibly the second one. Stephen seems like was the first one, and Philip was the second one. So we met Philip back in Acts chapter 6, and now he's going to become the main character in the narrative of Acts chapter 8. Like Stephen, Philip is an ordinary believer. Like Dan mentioned, Acts, or John 14, 12, Jesus told us, if you put your faith in me, and this is so hard for our minds to grasp, if you put your faith in me, you will do the things that I have been doing. So like Stephen, Philip was an ordinary believer being used of God to do extraordinary stuff. And also like Stephen, Philip may have been in that crowd that heard Peter preach after Pentecost. He came under conviction, and he was one of those that asked, what must I do to be saved? More about Philip. Today's passage. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. Philip's caught up in this wave of persecution. He was a close associate of Stephen. He's being scattered. He's going north to Judea and Samaria. He lands in Samaria, in a city of Samaria. It might be the city of Samaria or it might be a city in Samaria. So Luke now begins to highlight what's happening with Philip as an example of what the scattered believers were doing. So probably what we're going to see happen through Philip is happening all over the place through the believers, but Luke just puts the spotlight on Philip. Since it's an example, that's what's implied. What Philip was doing in this city, many of the believers were doing in many of the cities of Samaria and Judea. Through Philip, God is bringing revival to this city. We like to think when we ask God for revival that he's just going to do it out there, independent of us. Mindset change. He doesn't do it like that. He does it through us. He won't do it without us. He does it through us. Appreciated when Dan was praying, Lord, through us, stretch forth your hand to heal. Through us. It's not just independent out there. Oh, I hope that people start getting saved, healed. It doesn't work like that. 
What we have in, in this passage that we're going to look at is a biblical word picture of revival. And what we are going to do today is discover six biblical characteristics or marks or aspects or things that happen in time of revival. They're all in this passage. Revival is something we've heard a lot about recently. Revival is something that's being prophesied about a lot recently throughout the church, throughout the world, from many different sources. Prophesying revival. Prophesying that God is going to do this. But you know, often promises and often prophecy, they're conditional. God's not lying. He's saying, I'm going to do this. But the conditional part is, we have a part in that. He may or may not do it apart from us, most likely not. God has actually spoken to some of us in here about revival. He's given us words and prophetic words and, and visions and dreams about a coming revival. God has been calling us to prepare ourselves for this mighty revival. And then saying, don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. Don't let your sin short-circuit this revival. We may perhaps see an unprecedented move of God in the world in the days ahead. I believe, personally, it's already begun. I say we're ankle-deep in it. But there's so much more to come. Therefore, I think today's message is very timely. It's a very fitting message for us. I believe God is giving us a glimpse in his love and his mercy. He's giving us a glimpse into what he is going to do here, now, through us, through this church. And not just us, through any church that has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in these days. Six biblical marks of revival. This message has a definite purpose. It's to prepare us for what is coming. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, and he told the people there about the Messiah. First mark of revival. Believers, the church, are boldly and confidently telling others about Jesus. That shouldn't be surprising. Remember the command of Jesus to his followers? I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then teach these new disciples all the commands I have given you. We know this. This is the mission. The mission is telling folks who don't know Jesus about Jesus so that they will come to know Jesus. Then once they do, teaching them, teaching those who come to know Jesus all about him. That's the reason we're living. Doesn't look like it sometimes, oftentimes, does it? Because we're so caught up in this life. But that's the reason we're living. The only reason, I might add. Not only, well, let me back up. This is always the command and this is always the mission of the church until the end of the church age. But from our context today, what we need to know is revival will not occur without this. Revival will not occur without this. 
And not only will revival not occur if the church is silent, and there are forces trying to silence the church, in case you haven't noticed, and that pressure to be silent is increasing, there's not a whole lot of sympathy for the word of God anymore in our nation, in our society, in our culture. If we try to speak the word of God out there, we're tr- at least try to pressure us to be silent. And revival will not occur if the church is, not, if the church is silent. Also, evil will continue to prevail and increase if the church is silent. First characteristic of revival, indication that revival is beginning. Believers are boldly, confidently telling others about Jesus, speaking out the word of God. Standing firm on truth, no compromise. In love, of course. Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 8, verse 6, I think it is. The crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message. This is important for us. The second mark of revival is that there is an awakening among the lost. The first mark is the church is boldly proclaiming the word of God, telling others about Jesus. The second mark is there's an awakening of the lost. what, What does this even mean? The crowds listened intently. They were eager to hear the message. This is different. This is something that's not normal. This is something that's not usual in society or culture during non-revival times. People are most often hardened and closed to the gospel. Have you found that? An indifference? Maybe even a hostility? People don't seem to be interested? That's the norm right now in in our nation, in our culture, in our society. That's the norm right now. However, when revival breaks out, or as revival breaks out, people being intent and people being eager to hear the message becomes the normal. It becomes the usual. Listening intently, they were eager to hear the message. That simply means what it says. These are the people out there, the non-believers in Judea and Samaria for them, around here for us. They paid close attention to what was being said. That's different. That's not normal. They wanted to hear. They were hungry for it. In revival times, now listen, good time, neighbor nudge, don't miss this. There's two things happening during revival. God is breathing new life and fire into the church. Believers are intent on telling others about Jesus. When you see believers becoming intent becoming impassioned and burdened to tell others about Jesus, when it begins to become almost like an obsession, that's what we're living for, which is the way it should be, we're on the cusp of revival. So God is breathing new life. God is breathing fire into the church. At the same time, God is awakening the hearts of unbelievers. He's making them intense, not something we can do. This is God makes them intent. He makes them eager to hear the message. It's all about Jesus. Then he brings those two things together. He brings the on-fire church who's spreading the word together with a hungry community who's eating it up. 
and the result is a harvest explosion. Many lost souls being swept into the kingdom. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing today among unbelievers. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. God prepares the hearts of unbelievers to receive the message of salvation. God makes the hearts of unbelievers hungry for his word and hungry for himself. And we say, but I don't see that. It's not like that now. That is so true. It isn't like that now. It hasn't been like that in our country for decades. The interest in God, the respect for God, the fear of God has been declining in our country for decades. In my opinion, that's all the more reason, all the, all the more need for revival. If you recall the prophetic word from now probably several months ago, the way things are now is not the way things will be in the near future. The way things are now is not the way things will be in the near future. And when I received this word, I knew immediately it referred to this very thing. God is in the process of making indifferent and hostile hearts hungry for him. A biblical example of how this works, an Old Testament example, the Lord spoke to Jonah, get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Deliver the message I have given you. Jonah went to Nineveh. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Nineveh was a brutal, wicked, godless city. Not the folks you would have thought would want to receive the word of the Lord. If you know the story, that's why Jonah didn't go there right away, but rather ran away from the Lord and went the opposite direction. He was called to Nineveh, which is in northern Iraq, and he went to Tarsus, which was in Spain. However, what Jonah didn't realize, God had prepared the hearts of the people of Nineveh to respond to Jonah's message. Jonah only saw with his natural eyes, he wasn't hearing what the Spirit was saying, go to Nineveh and preach this message of judgment, but I've re I have prepared their hearts to receive it. And Jonah did sort of know that, because at the very end of the story, he was angry at God, and he said, see, I know you, and I knew you were going to do that. But the way things appeared then were not really the, things, the way things were. In the city of Nineveh, God had made them hungry to receive the word. And when Jonah did arrive, after a mighty journey away from God and then in the stomach of a whale or a fish, they listened intently. They paid close attention to what Jonah had to say. And when the invitation was given, they repented and they turned to the Lord. Great revival broke out in the city of Nineveh in northern Iraq. It's now named Mosul. M-O-S-U-L, you may have heard of that. It's been in the news lately. ISIS is, is working there. But great revival broke out in Nineveh. History has it that that revival lasted 100 years. 
You say, how, well, how long you know, did the revival really occur? Just overnight and gone again? History has it, it lasted for 100 years. In essence, this is Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. So the second characteristic of revival, there's an awakening of the lost. Acts chapter 8, also in verse 6, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Third mark of revival on the screen. It is always accompanied by miraculous signs and wonders. So not only eager hearts to hear the message, but also to see the signs and wonders. Mighty supernatural acts of God being done through Philip. Don't miss this. Not independent of Philip, but through Philip. God and Philip, co-laborers in revival. God and Columbia Christian Fellowship. God and you, co-laborers in revival. This is Stephen. And this is Philip now. Stephen and Philip, not Peter and John. We expected it from them. Hey, these are ordinary guys like you. And like me. These are ordinary guys. They ran the food bank. They weren't apostles. Both ordinary believers being used of God to do extraordinary stuff. Perhaps Jesus actually meant it when he said, anyone who puts their faith in me will do the same things I am doing. See, we've heard him say it, but we don't really think he means it. Or if he did mean it, it doesn't mean it for us. It meant it for the apostles. Listen to the words of Paul on this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words only, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. I didn't talk you into salvation. You saw the demonstration of God's power, and you came to him. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. What I told you I think, that's not going to last very long, but on God's power, that's going to last. God's power in our presentation, it's missing. It's missing, and we need it desperately. The message and the miracles, the word and the works, we need both. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk only, it's a matter of great power. Where is the power in the church to bring about salvation, eternal salvation, life change that lasts for eternity? It's been missing for decades, but God's about ready to restore that. That's what he wants to show us today. He's ready to restore that. You committed yourselves to me two weeks ago. I want to give you a glimpse of what, what is about to come. I don't see much excitement out there for this. You want to stay in your mundane, business-as-usual Christian life? Is that what you want? Or do you want to embrace this and get on the ride of your life? People are still waiting for life to go back to normal since COVID. It is not going to happen. Life as we knew, knew it is over. This is a new era. And God is trying to wake up his church to understand this. Third characteristic of revival, it's always accompanied by miraculous signs and wonders. 
God working mightily through believers through the church. Acts chapter 8, 7. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Satan's not playing games. Satan plays for keeps. If he can, if we allow him, he'll take us out. We stray too far out from the umbrella of protection of God, he'll take us out. There is such a thing as premature death. Death before our time. The word most often translated evil spirit, we know it's demon. Demonic forces, demonic beings, fallen angels that follow Satan rather than Jesus. You can't believe in God and not believe in a devil, Satan. You can't believe in Jesus and not believe in demons. They're both very real, and they're both very active. Neither one of them stopped operation back in the day. They're both very active today. There's probably more demonic activity, although I don't want us becoming demon conscious. We're to be Christ conscious, not demon conscious. But there's probably more demonic activity in our day than we would ever be able to realize if God pulled back the veil and showed us what's going on. The fourth mark of revival is demonic strongholds are broken. What? What? No stir there? The fourth mark of revival is demonic strongholds are broken. When revival is breaking out, demonic strongholds are being broken, and they flee. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 John 3, 8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to... Destroy the works of the devil. I need somebody out there to say that's right or something. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. One of the primary reasons Jesus came was to set us free. To set us free from the bondage of sin. Bondage from addictions. You really can't kick those addictions on your own if you're listening. You can't kick those addictions on your own. There's forces beyond you that have trapped you in these. But Jesus can set you free. And Jesus will set you free. In Luke 4, Jesus said of himself, I have come to set the captives free. Then scripture says of Jesus, whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. It was for freedom that Jesus died to set us free. Now listen to me. In Christ, sinful patterns of behavior are broken. You come to Christ, you don't have to stay in those sinful patterns, those destruction patterns, destructive patterns of behavior that have you in bondage. They can be very simple, annoying, destructive patterns of behavior, or they can be life-threatening, destructive patterns of behavior, but Jesus will set us free from all of them. That's why he came. Oh, but maybe he won't. That's why he came. 
It's like having a resource and it's not being used. Jesus came to set us free. Now in revival, that's true all the time. In revival, this is multiplied. This is magnified exponentially. Freedom is a mark of revival. When revival breaks out, there is great freedom. Let me give you a word on evil. Please don't be deceived, mistaken, over a period of time. This is how evil works. It's a slow fade. It's not a giant step. It's a slow fade in our lives, in the life of a city, in the life of a culture, in the life of a nation. Over a period of time, due to a variety of reasons, evil becomes entrenched through these seemingly little decisions that choose evil over good. It's never one major decision. There are major decisions. Roe versus Wade was one of them. But there was a lot of smaller decisions that led up that made Roe versus Wade possible. Over a period of time, due to a variety of reasons, evil becomes entrenched in a person's life, in a city, in a region, in a nation, society, culture, and it gets to the point, are you with me? It gets to the point where evil has become so entrenched, evil is so having its way, that only a mighty move of God can resolve the situation. Normal, usual means, business as usual, will not cut it anymore. My opinion. At that point, the situation is ripe for revival, and that's where we are in America. It's imperative that we experience revival. Doing church the way we've always done church is not going to cut it. Evil has become too entrenched, so entrenched. I hate to admit it, because I'm, a, I'm, I'm big on the church should be on the offensive. And lately I think it is. There's a rising remnant. There's a true ecclesia that's going on the offensive. But for decades, the church has been reeling backwards. And evil has been winning the day. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's not the way it's been lately. The gates of hell have been prevailing against the church. That has to change. That has to change. Not just because of our survival, and honestly, our survival, the jury's, the jury's still out on whether the church in America will survive. That jury's out. But it's even larger than that. There's so many lost souls who hang in the balance. That if the church doesn't rise to the occasion, those souls are lost. The fourth characteristic of revival, demonic strongholds are broken. Evil is unseated. And I believe that's entirely possible in our nation. I believe, I believe I have actually heard from God himself, pretty bold statement, that's his intention. He has every intention of unseating evil, of breaking the strongholds that evil has gained in our nation. He wants to do that. Will the church respond? Because he won't do it independent of the church. It'll be through us.
Acts chapter 8, 7. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. The fifth mark of revival, it's always accompanied by physical healing. This is something we've talked about at length in our congregation. Many of us believe actually that God is giving CCF a healing ministry. That this church is going to be a place where people will bring their sick and the sick will be healed in Jesus' name. You say, it's not like that now. The way things look now is not the way things are going to look in the near future. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages. He healed every kind of disease and illness. So first of all, put it out of your mind that there's anything that he can't or won't heal. He created us. He created the universe from nothing. You're telling me he can't heal that condition? Huh? Oh, man, I know I'm going long here. <laughs> I was at a church service not too long ago, and it looked like a mother and an, o- uh, an older child daughter came in by, I mean, 20s, 30s. And you could tell she had a bicycle helmet on, and you could tell that something was physically not right. Something was not right. But her arm was tucked behind her back like this, immovable. When she sat, could you imagine? They were padded pews, fortunately. Could you imagine if she sat on one of our pews because she had to sit like this? And when they stood for worship, she stood and she worshiped like this, and her arm would just move. And I got fixated on, on her, and my heart was breaking. I can't imagine being, being captive like that. And I thought of the verse in Scripture where um, Jesus came across a hunchback woman who was bent over. And he said, for 18 years, Satan had her bound like that, and I'm going to lose her. And he healed her. And I was looking at that girl in that church service, and I thought, we can't, we just can't put up with that. She needs to be healed. And the worst part for me was we were in a church service, but it was just accepted. I want to be careful because I'm not really sure what to do myself. All I know is that I could not stop crying out to the Lord during that whole service. It was a baby dedication. I couldn't stop crying out to the Lord to heal this this girl. You know, and the thought is, well, actually, I'll just tell you the truth. I told two other believers after that about this situation, and both of them said to me, well, the doctor should be able to do something about that. And I'm thinking, that's why she's not healed in the church. Forgive me, I don't want to get too bold and out there, but this kind of stuff I'm noticing. I don't know if God's bringing it to my attention or I'm getting whacked. But where's the healing? There's nothing that he can't heal. We saw it here, we saw it throughout the ministry of Jesus. Whole villages would empty out to see and hear hear Jesus and he healed all of their sick. We've already seen it in just about every chapter of our study in Acts. Through the apostles, through Stephen, through Philip, through the church, Jesus was healing sicknesses. The fifth mark of revival, when revival breaks out, it's always accompanied by physical healing. 
That's who God is. That's what God delights to do. Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord God who heals you. Let's move to a conclusion. There's one more characteristic of revival in Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. Could you imagine the joy if God healed that girl? Could you imagine the joy that would sweep over? The sixth mark of revival is it always results in great joy. Revival brings great joy for those who are experiencing it. It unfortunately can harden hearts and bring persecution too, but that's not today's message. Today's message is it brings great joy for those who are experiencing it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12, Old Testament. The people went away to eat and drink a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard the word, God's words, and understood them. Israel was in a bad way. The United States has nothing on Israel, and Israel has had nothing on the United States. Israel was in a bad way. They had turned away from God. They turned away from God to the point where they were taken captive by the Babylonians. Cruel, cruel nation. Harsh, brutal. After 70 years of slavery, living in the, with the Babylonians, they finally repented. They finally came to their senses and they repented. And God heard and he brought them back to their own land. And when they got back to their own land, they found and they read the word of God publicly. And revival broke out. Revival broke out in Israel. And as a result, great joy filled the land. The sixth mark of revival, it always results in great joy. So let me just give us a brief summary here. Marks of revival, characteristics of revival, aspects of revival. Believers are telling others about Jesus. Not just once in a while. I mean, believers are living to tell others about Jesus. That's the main mission of the church, and it's come to the forefront. Then there's an awakening of the lost. It's always accompanied by signs and wonders. Demonic strongholds are broken. Evil is unseated. It's always accompanied by physical healing, and it results in great joy. Let me give you an observation off of this list. I'm going to ask you a question. Only one of these six is on us. Only one of these is our part. Which one is it? Correct. You're right. It's obvious. The first one. We have the responsibility to be telling others about Jesus. We can no longer be silent. The rest are all on God. That's the only one that's on us. The rest are all on him. The rest is his part. If we are obedient and fulfill our part, we can be assured God will do his part. Yeah. God will awaken the lost. God will bring about the signs and wonders. God will break the demonic strongholds. 
God will bring about physical healing, and God will bring about great joy if we're out there telling others about Jesus. That's not too bad of a deal. Only one of these things is our responsibility. But we're falling so woefully short of that. And I really do believe, it's my opinion, if we're not doing that, the first one, God cannot or will not do the other five. I believe personally, you've heard me say it before, I'm out on a limb here. I believe we're on the cusp of a mighty move of God. We're on the cusp of revival in our country and around the world. We're already seeing it in parts and pockets of our country and in other nations. A number of ministries in the United States are seeing these very things occur through their ministries. It's happening. Today God has given us, CCF, a preview of what's coming, of what he wants to do. So you want to stay with us. You don't want to turn away now. It, it could get tough, but that's not today's message. You don't want to turn away now. You want to keep it tuned right here because we may just be in for the ride of our lives. <laughs> Let's pray together. Steve, no small task, huh, to pray after this one. As Steve comes to the mic, we'll stand together for prayer. And when Steve's done praying, the band will come forward. Before I pray, I, last year I ride on the trail, ride my bike on the trail down along the river. And every Saturday I would see a, a father riding his bike. And on the, in the back of his bike he had a little trailer that he had a son all curled up in the back. And you could tell that that little boy was basically that was his life. And that really struck me like with the pastor and that girl at the church. That really struck me. And... So I started praying for that little boy and that father. And after I started praying for them, about I saw them maybe two or three times after that, and I haven't seen them since. And I say that I haven't seen them since because that little boy is healed. And I... And I'm going to hold on to that. And one day when I'm in front of the father and his son, they will let me know. Then I will know. And I say to our pastor, we don't know about that little girl until we see her again. Our father is powerful. You are powerful, Father. And you did give us only one task, and that is to share your word. And I ask that you would just give each and every one of us the boldness to go out and share your word. You can give that to us, Father. That's not, that's not even on us. We don't even have to sum up the power and the boldness to do that, you will give that to us. 
And we thank you, Father. And I ask that you would just give that to all of us. That we will go out and we will share your word every chance that we get. Whether it be on a t-shirt. Whether it be the words we speak. Whether how we, how we act in a certain situation. Or if we just invoke the Lord's name, Jesus, when things are going wrong or something bad is happening, we just cry out the name, Jesus. Jesus! Jesus. Yes. Yes. That's all we have to do, Father. We can show the world what you're like just by the way we show people what we are like. You've given us one task, but you've given us you are there for us that we can accomplish that task. And we thank you, Father. We thank you. We are looking forward to that day, that revival that's coming. During this pandemic that this, this country has been going through, this world has been going through for the past year and so, people have been saying, that life as we know it is going to change. That has changed. It won't be like it was in the past. And that is right. It is not going to be like the way in the past. Because you and your people are going to rise up and spread your word around this nation, around this world. And we thank you for that, Father. We, we thank you for what you have started. Evil has run its course in this nation and in this world. It has no longer any power over any of us because we are going to stand in your word and conquer evil and just move it out of this nation. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the task that you have given us. And we will run that race and we will complete that race. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.